some things just uh, enter into it that make you uncomfortable. And that's where I think the determination and the mindset comes at who you're going to complain to. And if you're going to complain through the whole trip, you probably shouldn't have been going, maybe. Welcome to the Hunt Backcountry Podcast, presented by Exo Mountain Gear. This podcast and the gear that we produce at Exo Mountain Gear share the same purpose, to make you a more capable, confident, and successful backcountry hunter. This show is all about providing you with valuable information from experienced hunters. To learn more about the podcast or about our backcountry hunting packs, visit exomountaingear.com. Well, welcome. This is episode 180, and our guest is Mike Graves. I got an email from Mike last fall. He shared some information, basically, about how he had put his pack to work, and it was just kind of a thank you email to us at Exo Mountain Gear, but that's not what's important. Mike mentioned in passing that he had hunted 37 days that season, covering over 250 miles, and the freezers were full after he used his pack to get out several critters from the backcountry. What's important about that is Mike is 67. Yeah, 67, is still hunting the backcountry hard, almost 40 days, 250 plus miles. Mike is still getting after it. So as soon as I got that email, I really wanted to talk to Mike and understand his journey, his story, and how at 67 is he still hunting the backcountry as hard as he is. I ended up getting to talk with Mike on the phone, talked with Mike's son as well. He has a ton of stories to share. This is a super entertaining conversation, inspiring conversation, and so much more. I know that you guys are going to enjoy this. And speaking of the older guys getting after it, we had a recent review from uh, Drabon Joyner, who's 69 and going on a Kodiak goat hunt this fall. How cool is that? Drabon, thanks for the review in iTunes. Send us your shipping information to podcast at exomountaingear.com. We want to send you some Exo Mountain Gear and Hunt Backcountry Podcast swag. And listeners, if you can leave us a review or share your feedback by email, we would appreciate it so much. It'll enter you into these weekly giveaways. More importantly, it'll help people find this podcast that hopefully will help them enjoy more outdoors adventures. Finally, this month, as we wrap up, just a few days left in June of 2019, First Light is offering you guys a chance to win their new Brooks Down sweater. All you have to do is go to exomountaingear.com forward slash podcast. Look for the giveaway link. It takes like a few seconds to enter. Hit pause right now. Go check it out. exomountaingear.com forward slash podcast. Enter the giveaway for the Brooks Down sweater. And when you have some time, go over to the First Light website. Check out their updated lineup for 2019. I just got some more of my gear in from the 2019 lineup for this fall as we head to Alaska. So not only the Brookstown sweater, the Brooks, they have a glassing mitt. It's it's awesome. So go check out the expanded lineup of 2019 gear from First Light at firstlight.com. All right, enough rambling. Let's get into this fun conversation with Mike Graves. Hopefully you and I can learn something, and hopefully we can be getting after it hard in the backcountry in our late 60s as well. All right. Well, Mike, welcome to the Hunt Backcountry podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for asking. Uh, privileged here. <laughs> I told my son, I said, yeah, they want me to do a podcast. I said, isn't that what you listen to all the time? Yeah, Dad, I think you ought to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, you had e- emailed me back this fall and had nothing about the podcast or anything, but you use an XO pack and just kind of reached out and said, hey, you know, yes. thanks for the great pack. and. You know, here's kind of what I was up to this fall, and I thought it was really cool to see. You're 67, right, Mike? Uh, 67. I'll be eight in August. Yeah, so 67, <laughs> going on 68, and uh, yeah, it was cool to see you. Like even in some of the photos that you shared with us, I mean, you're hunting some some really really legit country for sure. Um, yeah, and so we kind of shared one of those photos, and then even a bunch of guys that just kind of follow our stuff wanted to get you on the podcast. I wanted to get you on the podcast, so that's <laughs> that's how we ended up here. I'm excited. Okay, <laughs> so go ahead and that's tell fine. us. You, you I do had... have to. I uh, had mentioned I think that I'd uh, 
pack three, uh, two elk and uh, three deer. And actually, I'd forgotten I'd, I'd packed out an elk for some guys I'd never met before coming out of a wilderness. And uh, so that made three that I'd packed out with that uh, pack this year. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> So, so you're 67, hunting hard, and not only are you packing out your stuff, you're packing out stuff for strangers. That's impressive. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, it was all good. Yeah, yeah, I met your son Shane uh, of, several weeks ago um, at one of the shows that we were at, and he kind of gave me some more information about you, and it was cool to hear. You've been hunting essentially your whole life, and it sounds like your father... Uh, was quite the hunter and uh, had killed quite a few bulls and things like that. So I'm sure sounds like you just got started from a young age. Yeah, I think I killed my first buck maybe when I was, I don't know, six or seven. And you only get one by with him. After that, you're on your own. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So that's the that's the first hunt you remember then, huh? Yeah, that's that. I think that's the first one that I remember, yeah. So did did you continue to hunt with your dad a lot, or he kind of just pushed you out on your own and you know let you learn in the field? How did that work out? I uh, yeah, he was my hunting partner and and uh, you know my best friend, and so when hunting season would roll around, we were partners in the logging business for about five six years, and when hunting season rolled around, we were gone for two weeks. We never listened to the phone. Everybody was on their own back at the home front. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was an avid hunter, loved doing it. Yeah. So they're just, we seem to always hunt the uh, areas that nobody else wanted to hunt because that's where we figured the game were at. <laughs> really? And where, where was that? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Oregon and, uh, a little town, logging town uh, called Molala there, and uh, it was a logging town. And then Spotted Owl hit, and you know from that point on, then I moved up to Alaska and logged up there for thirteen years. Yeah, most of the hunting you did with your father growing up was there in Oregon, then. Yeah, it was in Oregon, uh, Idaho, some in Washington, and and then uh, when I became a resident up in Alaska, well, he'd come up and. The laws up there allow a direct relative to guide for the family. So I had him come up as well as my son, and we've done a couple of goat hunts up there. Yeah, your son told me about that, and I have a story I want to ask you about. (laughs) (laughs) I know which one it is. (laughs) Before we get to that, there's another uh, funny story, I think, going back to family hunting. And this was, I think, an older story about you had killed either your biggest or one of your best bulls. Um, I believe it was about 30 years ago or something. And a family yeah. member played a trick on you with the horns or something. Shane was telling oh, me. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think I was about 35 and you know, I was all business and uh, my dad and I, and a good friend of ours had drew this special tag that there in Oregon. And, uh, I was pretty, I mean, I'm a meat hunter. And but I was pretty committed that I was going to either come out of there with a good bull or come out skunked. And uh, I'd been watching this uh, seven by seven for four days. And anyway, uh, opening day, I knocked him down and my dad got a five by five. And and uh, then uh, our partner, he killed a five by five. So we packed the horns out, put them up in the wall tent. And my uh, dad's oldest brother, he was always one to play games. And, of course, there was snow on the ground. And so we went to get the meat out. I come back and no horns. Well, I grabbed my gun and I was going up to the next camp. (laughs) 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 That was pretty serious stuff. Yeah. Well, I come to find out, my dad says, now just calm down. He said, let's take a look here. And he says, well, here's some tracks going out there in the woods. And. That was my uncle. He went and hit him out there behind the tree. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's yeah, funny. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I ever got even with him or not, but uh, he's still alive. Yeah. Well, it's not <laughs> yeah. too late then. You can still you can still get payback. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's funny. So, yeah, jumping yeah. up to Alaska. Um, you said you were up there for how long working? 13 years. 
Yeah. And obviously being a resident and having that kind of time, I'm sure you had some uh, great hunting adventures and opportunity up there, huh? I did. You know, we worked seven days a week up there, but uh, I tried to squeeze in some hunting. And it's kind of funny because I listened to the podcast of the guide that uh, guiding up there in Alaska and, you know, everything he had to say was spot on. And, you know, other than I can say, maybe add a little bit to it that uh, when you hunt in Alaska, you want to be prepared because uh, it can be a really nice place or a pretty unforgiving place uh, for, for for weather and everything around you. I mean, there's so many things that can happen so fast and you want to be prepared for it. Did you kind of stay in one area then with Alaska with your hunts or did you get to travel? Because it's, it's one no, of those things I, we... Yeah, we yeah, talk about I, hunting in Alaska like it's a spot, but Alaska is yeah, so yeah. big and so vast. Yes. I got up north uh, and hunted up there out of uh, King Salmon and Natnick, did some caribou, and uh, but it was always in the fall after our logging season. And so the big bulls have lost their horns, but I did kill a really nice moose up there, a 60-inch moose and oh, wow. at 30 below, I think it was. <laughs> goodness yeah it was uh it was a good hunt and it was just me and a manager uh decided to go up there to get some meat and uh met a guy and he says he used to be a guide and and he is a native there and he said uh well how'd you guys like to just you know go out to our cabin and uh said there's about five of us going out there and i said well that'd be okay at 20 miles up the King Salmon river. And <laughs> so we go in there and he said, there's only two things, uh, that we require. He said, there's no smoking and no drinking. And I looked at my manager and he looked at me and he says, we're all in, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we came out, uh, came out with what we wanted. He'd asked, actually, this guy, we're sitting at his dinner at home. He asked my buddy, He's saying, well, how big a bull would you like to kill? And he said, I just want a bullwinkle. And I'm sitting there listening to the conversation, and I'm thinking, he's going to ask me how big a bull I want. Well, how big a bull do I want? And I told him, I said, well, I'd like to kill something, you know, 60 inches. And uh, I seen a 70-plus, but I couldn't get to him. So, Wow. Did you – I know yeah. that – yeah. I know that you've done a, a lot, a lot of bow hunting, Mike. Are you strictly a bow hunter? Do you kind of hunt any weapon? Uh, or, yeah. You know, just looking at the opportunity, essentially? I do. I just, uh, I, I love bow hunting. My son got me into it. Uh, his grandfather said that, uh, oh, you never want to do that, you know, slinging them sticks out there and wounding all the animals. I have seen him wound so many animals with a rifle. The stick didn't have it. <laughs> Uh-huh. You know, it was no discussion, really. But uh, Oregon got so messed up that if you wanted to hunt, you had to go to a bow. And so we started bow hunting. We do a lot of hunting and not a lot of killing. We'd like to do a little more killing, but we're having fun doing it. So, And then we pick our rifles up in Montana because our season so is extended there. I mean, if you can't do it with the bow, well, you just wait a week and then pick up your rifle and start hunting again. Right. Right. Were you bow hunting when you were in Alaska? No, I was not. Only rifle. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I, I want to get back to, to that goat hunt story. Uh, and again, Shane had mentioned this to me about a hunt that you had done with Shane and also with your father, I believe. And you had a, an interesting idea on a good way to kind of lighten your pack load um and do a gear drop and i want to hear what that idea was and oh. how it worked out for you <laughs> yeah that was i think that was the second hunt and uh of course my business we were going strong but i think it was over uh labor day and so my son come up and my dad come up and we were going to do another goat hunt well it takes you a full day to, to get up into that country and uh you know, we wanted to be up there for four or five days. And, and so the air carrier, uh, that, uh, flew all of my passengers and freight and what have you, I talked to them and I said, what if I charter a plane and any chance that we can throw some gear outside the, uh, plane and drop it. And so we don't have to pack it in. And 
And I think that was all legal. Uh, not that it really helped us a lot. <laughs> and so we, we boxed everything up and took a lot of time. And, and the only, only uh, thing that my dad said, he says, do not drop my sleeping bag in a pond. And there's a lot of little ponds up in the high country. And anyway, needless to say, only his pack ended up in the pond. That thing <laughs> took about three, three bounces across the hillside and boom, right into the pond. And <laughs> it oh, was kind of comical, but it was all sealed. Everything was good. I think we might have broke one lantern or something. And actually, uh, when we came out of there, we had uh, three billies and uh, boned out, and we left a bunch of stuff up there underneath a big rock. And I've been trying to get back up there from a different direction now and for the last, I don't know, 10 years and still haven't made it in there yet. But maybe this year, we'll see. Get some of your gear back, huh? Yeah, well, I ain't so worried about it. It's just, it's, I think once you get up into that high country like that, that's about as close as you can get to God's country, I think. Yeah. Wow. Amen. It, it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so did that air carrier, do they have experience making drops like that, or this is just something no, you guys were rigging up on the fly? Off, might have been off the charts a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> really good friends of ours. Uh, it's, my wife used to work there, and... and uh, and uh, she's really good friends with the owners. They've now since retired as well. And, but uh, I had some pretty good connections there. And so what we ended up doing is pulling their doors off. And uh, the pilot, he could get her slowed down to about 80 miles an hour. And, uh, you know, and that's probably not the smartest thing a guy should do up there in the mountains with the wind currents and everything. But it worked. So, you know, I can tell the story. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's wild. So you, yeah. you, it was you, your son, and your father, and it sounds like y'all three were yeah. able to to fill that tag on a good Billy on that trip. Yeah, we did. Uh, we got in there that afternoon late and uh, gathered all our gear scattered across the mountain, and and we had a a good water source up there, and and uh, so we spotted Billy's. Right, nobody gets up into that country to hunt. Uh, the goat hunters around there, most of them wait till fall and then they'll go up one of these channels in a boat and snow gets deep enough, the animals come down. And But uh, we were right there amongst them. And so we seen Billy's that night and the two of them wanted to go after him. And I said, no, no. I said, we'll get them in the morning. I said, we need to get this camp set up. So we did. The next morning, uh, we told uh, my son that uh, he gets first shot I said, you may not get a second one, but I says, you will have the first one. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. Father-son only goes so far, you know. <laughs> so uh, he got his belly, and we packed it down and took off again and jumped another bunch of them, and I got one and uh, took it down. And actually, I think, I don't even know if we'd packed mine out. I think my dad had spotted another one under a great big ice uh well it was just like an ice overhang over a, a little draw and that bugger it was so warm he was bedded up underneath there and sure enough that was a couple of miles away but he went up in there and knocked him down and so we had three billies there i'm not sure if it was the second day or the first i can't remember but it was good hunting yeah wow I'm curious, just and this is a obviously a really high level question, Mike. But from someone with your experience hunting sixty years, you know, hunting in the lower forty eight for elk and deer, then having all these experiences in Alaska for you know goat and bears and all kinds of critters, what comes to your mind in terms of like if you have all those different hunts, do you feel that they're all really similar and that success shares similar attributes, or do you feel that different hunts for different species and different terrains are truly different than previous hunts and require different skills and things like that? Uh, yeah, I think there is a difference. I mean, when you're hunting a mountain goat, uh, that country, it's vertical. And mm -hmm. and the, the, the biggest job that you've got is maybe not so much killing the animals, just 
being able to get your butt up the mountain. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it is, it is, uh, it's tough. I, I went with my other son, uh, from, uh, Juno and, uh, he'd never killed a goat and, uh, Shane couldn't go with us that year. And, and it took us, uh, a day and a half to get up to where we wanted to be. And it was brutal. Yeah. I just, I, yeah, I, I can't compare to anything hunting any other animals as bad as it was for for mountain goat you know they're up in the high country and you're going to see once you get in that back country up there nobody they're standing there looking at you because they've never seen man to speak of but you can't just shoot anyone you see because some of them canyons and crevices you'll never retrieve the game you know Mm -hmm. it's so vertical so you have to be careful yeah that other hunt you did with your son, is that that one where you made quite a long trek and realized you had kind of forgotten something important? <laughs> yeah, that was it. <laughs> I, told you, I told you Shane gave me the dirt, so what happened Yeah, there? I guess he did. He gave you everything, didn't he? I'm sure he's listening. He said he was going to be. Yeah, he said he said to enjoy the podcast with you, and I don't know if he said that with a mischievous tone or... <laughs> yeah, that was uh, the year we were... We went in, my uh, stepson up there, he's got a boat, and we took it in, and, and then we had to go up this uh, river, and we had a rubber raft, and and uh, wind was picking up, and I was the last one to get out of the boat, and locking everything up, and, and needless to say, I forgot something that was kind of critical, but I didn't realize it till a day and a half later. <laughs> yeah, and what was that something? Oh, that something was the release that you used to pull the string back on a bow. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I forgot my uh, range finder as well, but it was all good. Uh, I was up there to help him, uh, Sean, to get, I got a Sean and a Shane, and I was up there to help Sean get his first billy, and it was so warm. The buggers had run over the mountain and on the shady side, and uh, so... We didn't see him. We had fresh sign, but we just could not locate him in our area. We seen some a long ways away, but no way to get to him because of the snow fields and what have you. Wow. But we had a good time. Memories, I think, is probably one of the most important things that you can do in hunting. It's not so much the blood and, and the killing. But if you're hunting by yourself, it's pretty hard to make memories and it seems to like I'm doing more of that all the time because my boys are a long ways away and they're still working, helping my retirement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there's something about a solo hunt from like the challenge perspective, you know, you're, right. you're on your own, you kind of meet yourself and there's at times there's something nice about not having to, answer to someone else right like you can make your own plan do your own thing and you don't have to bounce that off but uh at the same time there's something so incredibly special about sharing all of that with someone or with yes a few guys you know yeah especially when it's family it uh it's even more special i think Mm -hmm. unfortunately i've got a son that likes to hunt with me so he keeps asking me to go on some of these big hunts that he goes on so i feel pretty (laughs) privileged to be able to even be able to go <laughs> that's awesome well it sounds like it's a good heritage and that's what your father did with you you know yeah pretty much pretty much you mentioned you're primarily a meat hunter but you've obviously been on some amazing hunts when you think of like the trophy or have a mount from a hunt is that how you look at it in terms of that's that's something just to help you with that memory from those good times yeah you know i mean i think everybody likes big big horns you know and but uh, I love the meat. My my wife does. My dad. I mean, I lived on it my whole life when I was just growing up. And uh, I think it's more of the memory. is It's uh, making memories, hunting, as much as it is. You know, well, if I see a big one, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to try to make it happen. But you know, it, it doesn't always happen that way. If I see a legal bull or a legal buck that comes into view and the shots there i mean the buck you seen the buck i killed last year that was the biggest one i've ever killed and two days prior to that i was looking at a little tiny three point so (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome 
Steve and I are both in our mid thirties. Um, right. You know, we're essentially half your age, which sounds crazy. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I know for Steve and I, and I know for a bunch of our audience, no matter what their age is currently, the guys listening to this want to be hunting in their, you know, mid to late sixties like you are not only hunting, but hunting in an adventurous way like you do. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What Just at a high level, what do you consider some of the keys to being able to do it so long and to be in the country that you're in um, at your age? Like, how do you think you've gotten there? Uh, I think I'm in, uh, I think I'm in better shape now than I, I was, you know, a couple of years ago, but been about, three years now since I quit cutting timber and I didn't have to worry about exercise when you cut timber for a living, right? That is your exercise. So since then I've, I, I knew that if I was going to continue to keep hunting with my son and his buddies, uh, you know, I had to stay in shape. And so it's easy to become a couch potato and I never have been one to just sit around and do anything. I'm always busy working. So, I'm, uh, <clears throat> we got some acreage here in Montana and, and a lot of it's up and down. And so I'll, I'll make a, a pack and put a 40 pound, 45 pound pack on my back and go around the property and do three and a half or four and a half miles. And, uh, or I'll get on my, uh, uh, my bike and, uh, and and I'll take it out. I'm not one to mountain bike and not one to get up and I see some of these guys on these trails and stuff. I'd kill myself because I have got a few wounds I'm carrying with me. But, you know, I'll ride gravel roads and everything and, and do 10 or 12 miles. And I got a little trailer I can put on the back. And so I'll put 20 pounds on it or 25 and have my 45 pound pack on my back and you know, and I, I get a pretty good workout, but I don't do it every day. I'm, I'm maybe doing it every other day. And then my, I, I, you, you had a, a therapist on there here a couple episodes ago and, mm-hmm. and he was talking about, uh, rotator cuffs and stuff. Well, I've just had my second surgery on my right shoulder last December after hunting season and, and I did the uh, left shoulder prior to that. Well, I don't like going to doctors. So my left shoulder, I went back to work too early and was cutting timber and probably did something stupid. And obviously, I don't know what I did, but I tore the tendons off. And by the time I went to the doctor, there was no tendon. So I've had to overcome that with doing special uh, therapy to, to build my muscles up to compensate for the tendons I don't have. Mm. Wow. I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, no, that's very helpful. Yeah, yeah, that's very helpful. And pretty much the therapist that you were talking to, he was talking about the different things. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm doing all those things, you know, and, and maybe a few more. I've, I've got a bad ankle, I've got a bad knee, and, and but if I keep exercising, they do fine, you know. Yeah. But as soon as I start slacking off, well, then... You know, it's just, I think a matter when you get this age, when you hit that 60 mark, you, you got to push yourself. It don't come easy, you know? Mm. Yeah, that's good. Use it or lose it, right? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Use it or lose it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I think it's cool. I'm, I'm sure I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on too, just the mindset. Cause it, one thing that you just see it a lot where guys start making excuses as they get older. And by older, I don't mean oh, 67. Yeah. I see it at, at guys who are shoot our age, like in their mid thirties, there's already like those jokes yeah. about, you know, I'm not 20 anymore. Or you get the guys who are in their forties into their fifties. And it's really yeah. easy to make excuses versus just having a mindset oh. of I'm going to stay active. I'm going to stay capable. I'm not going to make excuses just cause I'm, you know, 40, 45, 50 or shoot 67. So how do you feel? Right. You know, is mindset really important to you? You think? Oh, absolutely. I think, uh, I was thinking about this, you know, I knew we were going to have this conversation and, and I have to say, I think, you know, you got to stay in shape. Uh, but you got to have the determination. If you haven't got the determination, it ain't going to make any difference what you're doing. You know, I see a mountain and I want to get to the top of it and, 
And my son will be with me. And he says, well, of course you are, Dad. You want to go to the top of that mountain? I can see it right now. And so we go up there, you know. Mm -hmm. But if I didn't have the determination, I wouldn't be able to do it uh, or wouldn't do it because it don't come easy. But you got to stay in shape as well. You know, I think that's more important. I think it's easy for a lot of us to sit back and look at maybe someone like yourself and go, well, yeah, he was a logger for a long time and he's just tough and he's been there and he's done that. But it's, it's interesting to hear you still say, well, it's still not easy. Like you still have to make that no. choice every day, right? That is correct. I, I hunted with my, uh, one of my neighbors, uh, last year and got to know him a really good friend and, and, uh, He's a big guy, you know, and and I I told him in our hunting, and I packed out one of his, uh, helped him pack out one of his bulls and, and a buck, and I said, you know, Stan, you just can't uh, not do this except once a year and expect to climb these mountains. I said, you got to do some walking, and so now I'm seeing him through the winter. Him and his wife are out walking the roads, and it's awesome, you know. Mm-hmm. To, to see him do that because that's going to make a better hunter next year actually this year yeah, yeah so that's great yeah it is it's all good one thing shane told me and this was in passing this wasn't like a talking point but he just mentioned it about you was he said um speaking of you he knows how to be comfortable when the condition should make it uncomfortable do you think getting uncomfortable when you should be uncomfortable is something that you can just develop over time just from exposure to those tough situations. Yeah, I think, I think so. I, you know, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of times that we're not in a comfortable situation. And so, you know, you try to do everything you can do, which would be buy good, good gear, good clothing, what have you to, to help, but still some things just uh, enter into it that make you uncomfortable. And, that's where I think the determination and the mindset comes at who you're going to complain to. And if you're going to complain through the whole trip, you probably shouldn't have been going maybe. Very, very good point. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. You mentioned having good gear. You know, one of the things I was just curious about was thinking of you hunting 60 years and how much things have changed um, from a gear perspective. What are, (laughs) what are some of the big things that stick out where you're going, you know, 40, 50 years ago, I was doing this, but now we have it so good because of what, like, what are some of the biggest changes you've seen, um, just in terms of gear that have helped you continue? Probably, uh, for one thing, I remember using an old wooden canvas pack, you know, I mean, it didn't even have a waistband on it. And I remember my younger days, you know, putting a, and and this is no exaggeration, but my dad and I and, and a buddy, and there's three of them, and they're 20 years over me, and so I'm packing a half an elk, and they're, they're packing a quarter. And, you know, the packs nowadays, I mean, you can put 100 pounds in them, and, yeah, maybe I've had more than that. I don't know. I haven't. I'm not weighing them, but uh, they just make it so much comfortable. And then when it comes to the boots and the, and the clothing, I used to hunt in my cotton in my cock boots. And if you're not familiar with those, they got nails in the bottom. And because I couldn't afford to go buy a good pair of hunting boots and my black suspenders and my cut off breeches and a hickory shirt and threw a sandwich in my hip pocket and off I went. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, I mean, they've come. So, I mean, you're carrying water on you and you, you got all this stuff and and but it's all good. You know, it just made things so much easier a gps i didn't even know what a gps was my son taught me that and used yeah. to hunt with them i had a map and always had a compass and i might have gotten turned around i wouldn't say i ever got lost you know he did, I, he did mention to me one time you had like a 4 a.m <laughs> return to camp and you had a gps but apparently you didn't look at it is that the story yeah yeah that uh, yeah, I did have a map of GPS and everything. I just didn't turn them on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was kind of an extended 22-hour hike at 25 miles, I think it was. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, that was, uh, that was, uh, that was a bad one. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. And my wife's in the, 
up there with me in the trailer and but she's got a really good head on her and she didn't get excited and i had the spot so she says at least i can find your body if needed to be so (laughs) (laughs) so once you figured out you were turned around or let's say you hit 11 p.m in the middle of the dark you still didn't turn that gps on yeah well i after i looked at this big river i'd gone clear over the mountain range and didn't realize it and and I think I was probably thinking about some other things other than hunting, but it was good hunting. And when I seen that John Day River, I thought, my goodness, you, you have just gone over. And I've been without water for about six hours. And all I could think of is I got to get a drink. And uh, so I got down there before dark, right about dark, and got my map, figured out how to get out. Problem was, is the map and the GPS showed a trail that didn't exist or hadn't been cleaned out, and uh, so, long story short, I did make it to the trailhead I wanted to come out to, but it was quite an ordeal to get there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Wow. (laughs) But no panic. I mean, you know, it's just I had extra food, some of them energy bars, and I had my water. That was the main thing, but uh, yeah, I was pretty tired when I got out that night, or the next morning, I should say. Yeah, man, I can imagine. You know, it cracks me up that when I asked you about the new gear and how things have gotten better or easier, one of the things you mentioned was just carrying water. Like the stuff that we take for granted, you know, that we have a hydration bladder and can carry two or three liters of water versus you saying in the old days, it's like, yeah, you didn't even have that with you. No, didn't. Uh, you know, in, in my younger days, if, if the water was running, I figured it was good to drink, you know, but... uh I I ended up getting Giardia for about two years and didn't know what it was. And they thought I had cancer and everything else and come to find out that's what it was from bad water. But it took me good six to eight months to clear it up. I had such a bad case of it. And Mm. so from that point on, unless I seen the water coming out of the ground, I didn't drink it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I think that's about the time I started using a hydrator you know, or carrying bottled water or something. But yeah. I try to drink, as you get older, you got to drink more water, or at least I think you do. I know I have to, for sure. Um, how do, You mentioned GPS. Um, obviously, range finders are something new, you right. know, um, in, yes. in terms of hunting 50 years ago. Do you have any thoughts on technology and hunting? Do you think we're kind of, in some ways, maybe going too far with things that are here on the horizon or is that something you've considered no i i think i mean obviously yeah i mean you could you could spend a fortune on all these gadgets and gizmos they got out there but uh, you know i think a, a good gps is a good investment for anybody especially if you're hunting in wilderness country yeah. And the rangefinder, when it comes to bow hunting, I mean, I have only been doing it about, I don't know how many years, eight or 10 or something like that. And, uh, you know, it'd be pretty hard to make that judgment call. I mean, it's bad enough to be able to make a shot with the rangefinder and still get the job done. So, but yeah, I think the new stuff out, you know, I mean, they keep coming out with new stuff all the time. And I think you just got to find a happy medium. Your pockets are only so deep to, you know, get something that you know that'll work, but uh, not so expensive that you can't afford it. Yeah, that's good. It's it's easy to get too focused on the gear and not on the skills and the mindset and all those other things. That That is correct. That ain't going to help you put the animal on the ground. You know, I, I've hunted with a lot of guys and they uh, said, you're going where down into that canyon or up on top of the mountain? I said, yeah, that's where I'm going. Well, what are you going to do if you get one down? And I said, I'm going to come and get you if I get one down, but first I got to get them down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. Do you see? Sometimes the worry's too great. <laughs> yeah. Hunting, you know, another thing Shane mentioned is, you know, you've essentially been hunting the backcountry before it was like a thing and now it, it is right. a thing. Um, yes. Do you, do you feel like you see more people than you used to when you're back there? Uh, yeah, in certain areas I have, but you know, last year I was, I was in some back country and, uh, 
you know, a lot of, a lot of the hunters, especially in what I see in Montana, they're, uh, you know, they'll go in a little ways, but they don't want to have to make that big decision of how I'm going to get that critter out of there. And, you know, it, it's, it's not uh, unforeseen for me and my son or by myself to go in eight or 10 miles. If, if we got good hunting, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll probably have to eat the booger to get him back out, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I got to get him down first. I love that. Yeah, I love that mindset. Just kind of know like who, who cares what, how miserable the pack out is. You're just going right. to have a good hunt and experience it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the memories. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if, if the weather's good, right. And even if it takes you a yeah. couple trips, it sounds like you're willing to do it. Well, yeah. I mean, you're, you're not going to get it. Even if you got two of you, you're not going to do it in one trip. And, uh, at least I can at 67. I might've been able to do it when I was your age, but, but, uh, it's it's a mindset you know you got to have the determination and so no sense in killing yourself you're going to hunt in that kind of a country you're just going to know you're going to make several trips back in now maybe it's going to be one a day or something like that but uh that's what it's going to take and if you take care of your meat that that's probably the the biggest thing during bow season is you know you're always beating trying to beat the heat and Mm -hmm. uh so that right there could mean that you may have to, you know, do it until you get her done and not yeah. take time too. So, you know, you mentioned in passing there, basically you're not getting ahead of yourself. So yeah, you are thinking, okay, I do have to get this out of here. Um, and will the weather allow the meat to be good? But at the same time, you're not so focused on what might be or what could be or how bad the pack out might be that it's preventing you from doing what you need to do now. And so it's interesting to me just to hear that and go, you know, don't get ahead of yourself. Don't, don't think about, yeah, this pack out is going to be bad. Um, obviously you do need to think about what is possible and make sure you don't get yourself in a dangerous situation or an unethical situation, but at the same time, don't get so focused on what might be or how bad might something be. And just, just focused on the now and on the hunt. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it, um, a good example would be uh, last year I was hunting by myself. My son was coming, but he was a few days away, and and I was in wilderness. And I think I went in about eight miles, I think it was, but it was good hunting. I had fresh sign. I just couldn't find the little buggers. And and uh, I got in there far enough, and, and, you know, the terrain, everything started changing. And I thought, you know, maybe this is far enough because – you're going to be able to hunt your way back out. And fortunately I got back out about an hour before dark. And that's when I run into them hunters I'd never met before and helped them pack their stuff out. So, uh, they was pretty grateful over that, but you got to know when, when to say no too. I think, you know, some common sense has got to enter into it someplace. So you helping those other hunters, somebody you had never met, do you just feel that as hunters, um, we just should be willing to help each other and work together essentially when, when it's required to do it. I think when it's required to do it, I mean, it was pretty obvious to me. I heard voices and, uh, we still had daylight and, and they were having problems. I, I thought they had the meat out already and they were just trying to figure out how to get their camp out because they'd lost all their tie downs. And so I helped them pack the, the gear out and, uh, and so it was just, uh, it wasn't quite dark when we got out. And as the, as the walk, I, I said, so uh, you already got the meat out, I think something like that. And he said, no, he said, it's still up there. And I said, he says, I got to go get horses. And I said, well, is it clear up on top of the mountain? No, he said, I did get it down. And, and I said, well, you know, my hunting was over for the day pretty much anyway. And, it just seemed like the thing to do. And so I said, yeah, I'll, I'll help you. And he, he I thought he was going to fall over. He couldn't believe I was offering. <laughs> <laughs> we unloaded uh, their camping gear and I lightened up my pack. I didn't even take my gun back in. I just took my sticks and, you know, my mindset was I'm going to help this guy get his meat out. And so it was a real blessing, you know. It feels like it's easy to get so focused on our own hunt that, you know, maybe we yes. overlook others at times. I think it's, it, yeah, it, it can be so, 
pretty easy. But, you know, I think having the mindset and being retired makes a little difference, too. Where, (laughs) you know, the younger generation, uh, they still got to make a living doing something and they got a job. So they're trying to make every every minute count where me, I just I enjoy the nature and out there. And if I can help somebody out. Yeah, that that's all part of it, especially when I got two black uh, back straps out of the deal. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't hurt. Yeah, he mentioned to me, he says, well, I'll give you a back strap. And I said, well, that'd be great. I said, you ain't going to have to say that twice. And so we're coming back out with the meat load and they were heavy loads. And and he says, you know, I've been thinking about that. I'll give you both back straps because I got meat in my freezer. And I said, done deal. So I came out pretty good on the deal, I thought. Yeah, that's not bad. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Um. This is, I don't know if you can even look at this from like an outside perspective, Mike, because you grew up as a hunter. Um, I mean, that's, that's what you'd known from an early age. It's what your father did. It's what you've shared with, with your boys. But how do you feel that being a hunter and not just hunting, but again, going back to hunting rough country, being in the back country, challenging yourself in the wilderness, learning to be, um, comfortable with the uncomfortable. How do you feel that all those things have, affected you as a man and changed how you handle life outside of hunting in the outdoors? Well, you know, I, I've never been a quitter and, uh, it'd be easy to do at times when you're up there in those mountains and they're challenging and, uh, but life is a challenge and, you know, with God's grace helping us through every day and, and giving us hope and, uh, and I don't know, it, 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 it makes you, I think, uh, appreciate what you have got when you're up there in the mountains and you don't have it, maybe, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah, for sure. For <laughs> yeah. sure. That's great. So did you mention, Mike, you just started bow hunting specifically? Did you say that like eight or 10 years ago? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm not sure. I, 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 my son, he'd remember, but I want to say it was at least eight years ago and, uh, I've, I haven't been, I've done a lot of hunting. I'd like to do a little more killing. We, uh, we have a lot of close, uh, opportunities, but it seems like, you know, we either bugger it or, uh, good weather or wind or whatever buggers it. you know, it seems like it's always something, you know, that how it is. And these guys oh, yeah. that watch on TV and they're killing these big bulls day in and day out. And I'm thinking that ain't even happening. How many, how many shows have they had before they got this one? <laughs> right. Yeah. In, in my book, you know, any, any elk is a trophy. Rather, it's a great big bull or a cow or whatever. Mm-hmm. They are smart. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. What do you feel like was a big um, new, some of the new things you learned bow hunting Versus the the decades you had had rifle hunting, what what are some of the differences that stand out in terms of the skills needed or how you interact with animals, things like that? It, uh, I think the bow hunting has made me a better hunter to be aware of uh, what's happening around you, but it's also a very, I I think it's a lot more uh, physically demanding than rifle. You know, they got these darn rifles now you can shoot a half a mile away. Well, that's all fine and dandy. If that ain't hunting, that's just spotting and shooting, <laughs> target shooting, you know. Mm-hmm. Where a bow, when you, you get those critters, I've had them, you know, within five feet of me, and they didn't know, they knew something was wrong, but they didn't know it was me. And it was only because I had the winds and everything were right. So I, it's more... Uh, closer encounter and uh last year uh i'm pretty sure i killed a bull with the bow my son and i was together he called it in but we didn't get him Uh, i think a bear got him and uh we tracked him for 22 hours and and uh the broadhead and everything was in him and i i i think he had bled out we found his deathbed but he wasn't in it so you know, those things, because it is such a close encounter, that uh, it goes right to the heart, where you're shooting a rifle and they're 
you know, a couple thousand feet out there or 2,500 feet out there, you know, yeah, I don't think I hit him. So they don't even go look, you know, that, that, that doesn't uh, affect you as mentally as it does, I think, with a bow. I could keep you on here all day, Mike, asking you questions <laughs> and hearing stories, I'm sure. But I, I want to be, uh, you know, recognize your time here. Just to... uh, My time's pretty flexible. <laughs> you know, we get a campfire and some spirits. I could really tell you some good ones. <laughs> I, yeah, let's do that. I would love to do that one day. <laughs> we need to come record the live podcast with you around the campfire for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, to wrap up this conversation, and hopefully we can have another one down the road. What sure. does anything come to mind just in terms of you've hunted this long, you've seen so many changes. What thoughts do you have for, let's just call it the next generation of hunters coming up. So guys, you know, Steve and I's age or even younger, um, who have hopefully decades more of hunting. What, what would you tell them? Uh, boy, I don't know. Uh, you know, it's, it's getting more expensive to do it they keep changing the laws you know last year was the first year i hadn't hunted oregon for man my whole life and uh i was boycotting them and and that really didn't do any good i don't think but <laughs> made me feel a little better mentally <laughs> stay for your principles <laughs> but i uh, hunted all time you know during montana season and that was the long season so that that was all good but I enjoy hunting with my son and his buddies and it's, you know, it's not always easy to, my, my time is flexible, but theirs isn't. And to go buy a tag for a thousand bucks and hunt for four days, uh, it, I can't make that com compute, you know, anyway. Yeah. I mean, definitely opportunity and availability and regulations and all that is something that we're oh. going to have to deal with more and more for sure. More and more, it's going to get harder and harder to go hunting because they keep re putting more restrictions on it and everything. And so Montana's been pretty flexible so far. I think probably Wyoming might be, uh, although you can hunt wilderness in Montana where you can't do that in Wyoming. So Correct, yeah. All right, Mike. Well, yeah, maybe we can get a part two. Maybe we can uh, share that campfire one day. But for now, man, thank you so much for the time. <laughs> yeah, if you guys, uh, you're over there in Idaho. If you're ever in my part of the country and uh, you need a hunting partner, I'm usually pretty flexible unless I'm already out there tramping the bushes someplace. So <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we'll reach out. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. I appreciate your time and uh, giving me the opportunity. Hopefully I can... Uh, said something that might help others well, as always guys thank you so much for tuning in we really do appreciate it we appreciate your support and your feedback send us an email leave us a review we'd love to hear from you and until next time get out and do something to prepare for this coming fall catch you next week <laughs>